the book of Ephesians. And we've been there for a while, and we will be there for a while. Um, We're going to head into chapter 2 this morning, but in Ephesians chapter 1, just a quick review. God talks about, Paul writes this book from prison. It's been about four years since he's been with the people at Ephesus, and so he's writing to encourage them. And he writes to them, and he explains to them. He's trying to help them understand in the first part of this book. He's trying to help them understand what it means to be a Christian. He's trying to help them to understand what happened when they put their faith and trust in Christ. He's trying to help them understand what God actually did in their world when, when, they, when they became a Christian. And so Paul spends the, the first chapter talking about that. In fact, he spends um, verses 4 through 13, which are nine verses in your Bible. But in the Greek language, it's actually one sentence long. But he talks about a number of things. He talks about what God did when God saved you. And he talked about the idea that God blessed you. He talks about the idea that God adopted you. He brought you into his family. Um, he talks about the role of Jesus Christ. And he says, he talks about the idea that Jesus Christ redeemed you. Uh, he forgave you. He showers his grace upon you. He talked about the role of the Holy Spirit, how he guides you and seals you and makes you part of his own. And uh, then he kind of wraps it up in the end of chapter 1. He talks about the power and the, the opportunities that we have for God's impact upon our lives. And now when we get to chapter 2, it starts out a little dark. And then it, it, but it needs to start there because actually in chapter 2, at the beginning of it, Paul's going to look at your salvation in terms of its past, present, and future. And so uh, let's dive into it. Ephesians chapter 2, here's the first verse. Uh, Here's what it says. He lays it out and he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he starts off right at the bat and he says, Let me tell you some things about, he's talking to the people at Ephesus, which applies to us. He says, Let me tell you some things about you in the past, he, again, we're, he's talking to Christians, okay? So he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Uh, trespass has the idea of that which is unintentional. Uh, sin has the idea of that which is intentional. And he said, in, 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 in your human nature, you were dead. There is no way that you could deal with your sins. You were, you were, there's no way you could deal with your unintentionally or intentionally. There was nothing you could do to make yourself appealing to God. You were dead. There was no life. There was no hope. There was no future. There was nothing is, is what he's talking about. And notice what he says, in which you used to live. So he's saying, you know what? It's different now. That's the way it was. This, it's not the way it is anymore. But he talks a little bit more about it. And he said, because what you need to understand is when you, before you became a Christian, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You followed the ways of this world. In other words, it was about you. You know, you don't have to teach a child to be selfish. Okay? You know, and I don't sit down with, with Claire and say, okay, Claire, let me tell you how to be self-centered. She has mastered that at the age of two and a half. Okay? And nobody sat down and had a discussion with her. You know, why? Because we are, that's our nature. You know, our nature is to be focused on us. And Paul said, 
That's, that's the ways of the world. That's the way the world was. It was all about you. It was about what you wanted to do. It wasn't about what God wanted you to do. It was about how you wanted to respond to life. And he said, and you followed in the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The idea is that you were, you were part of Satan's kingdom. You were part of Satan's world. You were part of Satan's influence and, and, and that. He's the one that had power over you. And he said, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And he said, you need to understand this. That's the way the world is. Okay? We're of a different world. That's what Paul's going to argue to these people. We're of a much different world. That's the world. He's, not, he's just saying that's the, way it, that's the way Satan rules it. It's all about you. So, so just step back and don't be so surprised about what's going on in the world. You know, we act like, you know, we're shocked because people are selfish. No. Satan's out to steal, kill, destroy. So what's going to happen in our world? Things are going to be taken from us, robbed of, of joy and happiness and peace. It's going to be uh, steal, kill. Things are going to be destroyed. You watch relationships destroyed. You watch Satan try to influence all those kinds of things, destroy things, destroy marriages, destroy families, destroy. That's, that's Satan's world. That's what he does. And Paul said, look, you need to understand. That's what you were part of. Now listen to what he goes on. He goes on to say this. Uh, go to the next thing. All of us who also lived among them at one time. Paul said, you need to understand now. That was the world that you were a part of. Are you getting this idea here, as Paul's writing to these people, that there is a world before Christ, and there is a world after Christ? And they are opposites, and they are completely different? He's saying, that's the way, he said, you also lived among them at one time. That was you. Dead in your trespasses and sin, living for yourself, focused on, 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 on your desires and passions and what you wanted. And he goes, what he goes on to say, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. There was this pull for you to do what you wanted to do. And Paul says, that's the world that you were a part of. And we were by nature deserving of wrath. He said, and when God looked at you in that world... Wipe them out. I mean, how many of you, I mean, how many of you, when the Asian beetles come around, okay, you know what I'm talking about? How many of you look at those Asian beetles, and when you see one in your house, and you went, oh, I so much want to feed and care for you? There, there's nothing appealing about them, is there? You know? Oh, yeah, Dar's going, I love Asian beetles, man. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Pest Control, sure, you know. The only guy who really appreciates them, you know. He's like, bring them on. Let's get an infestation of them. Yeah, because that's it. I mean, that's what happens. We don't see any value at all in them, do we? And they deserve our wrath, right? We try to kill them and vacuum them up and trap them and get rid of them in any way we can get rid of them, right? And Paul says, you want to know what you were like as far as God goes, you were deserving of his wrath. There was nothing appealing. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were living for yourself, your own passions, your own desires. It was all about you. And he said, that's, what, that's how you and I were before Christ came into our lives. And this next verse, I grab onto this with everything you've got. Listen to what he says um, in verse 4. 
Some versions say it this way, but God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. He said, that's the world that you were part of. That's the world everybody else is a part of, but you need to understand. You deserve wrath, but you know what? God, with his great love, who is rich in mercy. He's going to give you a list now of some things that God did. But I just want to focus on this for a second. But God. With nothing redeeming in and of ourselves, God stepped in and said, you know what? I love the Asian Beatles. I care for them. If it means for me to become one so that I can save them, that's what I'll do. They're not, I, I, they deserve my wrath, but you know what? I love them. Those people who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who can't do anything for me, who are against me, who are living for themselves, who are all focused on following Satan and his desires and his plans and everything else for their life, those people, but God, with his great love, who's rich in mercy. Notice the three things that he talks about doing. And here's what it says, verse 5. Um, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he throws this in. What, what happened? Oh, oh, okay. Uh, my problem is I'm looking at it on that screen, and it's not a right, right. Uh, you can't read it on a back wall. Yeah, this is the first time I tried the red thing, but I still make my point. So I got to go read it up here. If I fall off the edge, we got an EMT. I'm good. All right, we got two of them now. Uh, I'm good. Um, oh no, she's not here. Oh no, okay. I'm on my own. Okay, it's just you, Bob. Uh, oh yeah, no, I got other people. Okay, all right. Uh, here's what it says. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. We're going to talk more about mercy and grace next week. He kind of throws this in as a little teaser kind of thing. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Paul says, look, you need to understand, God who loved you, who who was rich in mercy towards you, with great love, did three things. And notice what he says. The first thing he did was he made you alive with Christ. You who are dead, I'm made alive. Now, as Christians, we believe that life occurs at conception. And we believe that actually God, God ordained life even before our parents even thought of having us. That God created us long before that. Psalm 139. But one thing that you learn about. um, One thing that you learn about. Childbirth and all that kind of thing is. Normally. You don't know. When. You're having a child until later. You don't know when that moment of conception occurs. All of a sudden you go hey we're pregnant. And usually it's a few. Removed away from. The event of conception. But we go back to it and go, well, technically we were made alive at that point. But we didn't know we were made alive. And when you're a little child, you don't know what it's like to grow up. But what happens? As you mature over time, and all of a sudden now, you were made alive at this point. But the whole growth thing, that takes a while. And what Paul's saying is, he wants these Ephesian people, these people at Ephesus, he wants them to understand 
When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you were made alive. You who were dead, you're now alive. Now you are capable of growing. You are capable of developing a relationship. You will be capable, eventually, of communicating. You have all of these capacities ahead of you. But right now, you need to understand you were made alive in Christ. You are no longer dead. No longer. That is not a part of your life anymore. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now you're made alive to God to establish a relationship with him. And then he goes on to say this. Um, And he raised us up with Christ. Have you ever thought about this for a second? When Jesus Jesus was crucified and put in the tomb, we know that he, he, he rose. Here's a question. Why did he come out of the tomb? Why did he stay in the tomb? Because, see, he had a purpose for the resurrection. The purpose of the resurrection was to show everybody the power of God over death. To show everybody the power of God over the tomb. The power of God over Satan. And so how does he do that? He leaves the tomb, ascends to heaven, and then spends 40 days here. Why? Because he wants to show forth the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in the lives of the people that he touches. And Paul's saying this. Look, you need to understand. You were made alive to God and you were raised up with Christ. Your job is to go back into that world that's dead in its trespasses and sin. And you are to show forth your life in such a way that they see the power of God in the way you and I handle things. In the way we deal with the world. So that they can see God and Christ in us. He said, that's why you were raised up. By the way, if you'll notice... Notice how many times in each one of these things they're linked to Christ. You were alive to God. You were, you were raised up with him. And then the last part of it is, is mind-boggling when you can actually comprehend it. And he says, you were made, seated us with him in the heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ spends 30 or 40 days on the earth. He ascends into heaven. Acts chapter 1. He goes up in heaven. Hebrews, we know that he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice what Paul says. What did he do with us when we were saved? What did he do? Seated us where? With him. You understand what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, if you're a Christian here this morning, as far as God's concerned, heaven is not a destination. You're already there. In the mind of God, you are with Christ in heavenly places today. There's some debate. Scholars see this two ways. Some Bible scholars see this as talking about seated with Christ in heaven. Some people see this as a reference to the idea of the spiritual world of which God controls and God is, is, is available in the heavenly realm, that area of, of the world. I, I would try to explain it to you this way. Um, in your heart and mind, do you learn to rest in Christ because you are seated with him in the heavenlies or do you worry and fret about it all on your own because it's your problem? See? If I'm seated with Christ in the heavenlies, because here's the thing. Think about this for a second. Um, When you're seated, 
you are resting, right? I mean, unless you're in like a sports car or something driving around a track. You know? But I mean, most of the time when we sit, we rest, right? I mean, it's so bad last night, you know, I forgot to take out, um, I forgot to take out steaks. My wife, about three o'clock, looked at me and she said, hey, honey, she said, uh, did we take out steaks for tonight? Because my mom's here and so we got to have steak. I said, no. I said, um, no, I hadn't. Now, I'm in my recliner. And all I had to do was get up and walk to the freezer. But I'm in my recliner. And I said, you know what? How about if we have uh, the chicken salad tonight and we will have the steaks tomorrow night? Because I don't want to get on my recliner. I already told her that. I said, I'm resting. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get up and deal with that. Now, I understand it's, you go, you're incredibly lazy. But um, no, I was just tired and I didn't want to get up. So we're, so we're having steak tonight. Um, you know, you're like, oh, you got up and went to steak and got steak. Went, no, I didn't. I stayed in my recliner. Why? I was resting. Okay? I was resting in my recliner. That's what I'm saying. When we talk about the idea that, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, we are resting in him and letting him take care of it because we don't need to because we are with him in the heavenly places. Does that make sense? Okay? So let's, let's talk about a couple of things and, and, and some things. Oh, wait a minute. i got one more thing before I go there. Um, here's what you need to understand about this, this passage here. In the original language... This is in what we call a past tense. And here's what it means. This is something that has already happened. This isn't something that you and I need to look forward to. This isn't something that you and I need to work towards to have to attain. This is something that's already been done. This is a done deal. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, this is what God did. He made you alive. He raised you up. And he seated you in heavenly places with him. Done deal. Nothing else you need to do for any of this. This is what he did. Paul is writing to these people trying to get them to understand the implications and the importance of understanding this. So he says, look, this is a done deal. You were, you were, you were made alive unto God. You were raised up and you were seated with him in the heaven. So um, let's, talk about a, let's talk about a couple applications and things as we head into the week. Here's the thing. Some of you get very discouraged because you come to church and you're, you're kind of a new Christian and so a lot of this stuff is new and it's kind of overwhelming because we throw out verses like they're candy at the parade um, and you spend, you know, you, you know it, honestly, you brought a Bible in here and, and I say go to the book of Ephesians, you spend like 20 minutes trying to find the book. Um, and you get all frustrated, and it's like, you know, I just don't feel like I've, I'm, I'm growing like I should, and, and, I, and, and it bothers me, and I feel like I should do one. Time out. Okay? Time out. Take a breather. Right? You were made alive to God. That's the start of the journey. But it's a lifelong journey. And it's a journey where you start to pick up. You keep coming to church and you'll learn more and more and more. And before you know it, you'll start to learn where some of the things are. And as you start to maybe read your Bible on your own and you start the daily bread, you start to learn a little bit and you start to pick stuff up. And it's, just, it's like this week. Um, my mom's here and we had a good time. And so one of the things that I did was um, 
we have a walkout basement, and so um, we have stairs going up and down. And so um, I told my mom, I said, you know, I said, there's no reason for you to do the stairs. I said, if you have to, you have to, but there's no reason to do that. So I borrowed a golf cart. Um, next year I got one from Greg. This year I got one from um, uh, Dave. And um, so what would happen is my mom would then walk out the basement and drive the little golf cart around and get out. And she kind of likes the golf cart thing, okay? <laughs> Uh, and, you know, and then um, Claire came over. And now, every time Grandma's there, they have to go for a ride. So she gets in the cart, sits next to her, and Jean says, so now every day this week that Claire's been over, it's been, let's go take a golf cart ride, okay? And she knows how to turn it on now, so now we're getting dangerous. So, anyway, so now it's the golf cart ride. So this week, of course, me being me, I thought, well, she's like two and a half. She can drive. <laughs> so I sit, don't worry, David, we haven't wrecked anything. Um, but anyway, so now I sit next to her with a gas pedal, and I push on the gas pedal, and I let her drive. Okay? And she doesn't have a concept yet of driving. She has a concept of, and then, and then you go, no, go the other way. And she just keeps going this way. And sometimes you go straight, and sometimes you go this, and... And sometimes, like yesterday, we were driving, and I was down in the south part of the farm, and all of a sudden, she's sitting next to me. We're not going very fast, okay? I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't done that yet to her. Um, but we're going very, very slow, and all of a sudden, she's sitting there, and thing, she jumps out. <laughs> Literally, just, I, and I don't mean like, you know, I'm thinking about it. I mean, it's like, boom, she's gone. And I look, and, and, and of course, I stop, and I say, what's going on? She goes, me run, you chase me. <laughs> And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, me run, me run. And so she wanted to run and wanted me to chase her with a golf cart. That's what I did. <laughs> what any good grandpa does. You know, run down your grandchild with a golf cart. Ah, you know, hey, this is fun. Um, but here's the point of all that. The point of it is this, okay? When I don't expect Claire to drive the golf cart like my mom. My mom's got 60 plus years of driving experience. I figure she can run a golf cart. I didn't have to sit down and go, okay, Mom, I'll run the gas and you steer. Why? Because she's grown enough to know how to, run a, how to, how to drive. She's got her own car. She gets around. She drives. She gets, you can get a license that says she can drive. Um, and, but Claire, it's going to be a process. There'll be a day that she learns to drive. Um, hopefully not like her father or grandfather, but there'll be a day she learns to drive. You know, that comes. And some of you are discouraged because you're like, well, I'm alive in Christ. I should be at this point because I'm like this old or I've been in church for this. No, give it some time. Okay? Give it some time. Don't be so hard on yourself. Paul said, look, I want these people to understand you're alive to God. It starts the process of growth and it's okay for the growth to take time. In fact, you know as well as I do. Good Solid, strong growth is built over time. It's not a quick fix thing. We're in a quick fix society, which wants stuff instantly, and sometimes that hurts us more than it helps us. Second idea is this. He talks about the idea that you are raised up with Christ. Um, when Jesus is here, he talks about it this way. He talks about it with a concept of, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Okay. Um, every year, every week, I don't know if you know it or not, but Greg takes care of these plants. 
and, I, and normally he clips them every week. And I said, I don't, I don't want you to do that this week, so please don't. So here's the idea. Let's say I like this thing right here, okay? And so now I have it all week for me, okay? You really want to see it at the end of next week? You think it's going to look like this in seven days? Why? It's not attached anymore, right? The second I cut away from that, I affected this. Paul says, I raised you, uh, you were raised up in Christ, with Christ. You are now connected to Christ. And as you stay connected, you will continue to grow. But when you pull away, when you disconnect, it has consequences. It starts to affect your growth. It starts to affect you. And I watch people, they go through a crisis or a crisis of belief, and it's easy to pull away from people. I get that. That happens. And I get that sometimes it's easy to pull away from your church, and it's easy to pull away from your Bible reading, and it's easy to pull away. I I, I get that. But you need to understand, you can't do that without a consequence. You can't do that without it impacting you. And Paul is saying, look, you need to understand, you were raised up with Christ. You were raised up in such a way that you are now connected with him. And you can now go into a world and show his power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, to a world that is dead and its trespasses and sin. That is all about itself. You can do it differently. You have the power when you want to respond selfishly to not to respond unselfishly. You have the power when you want to respond in anger to respond in love. You have the power when you want to respond in, um, in, in a way that, that is uh, self-centered and self-focused. You know, if I was a good husband yesterday, I would have looked at my wife and I would have said, Honey, I'll, I'll, don't worry, I'll get up and get the steaks. And she was a good wife, she would have volunteered so I didn't have to leave my easy chair. You know? But we were both resting, so you know what? There ain't no stakes. I got them out last night before I went to bed. Thought, you know, I'll have them tonight. But the, the, the point of it is, look, when, we, when, when we're raised up with Christ, it gives us a connectedness to him. And it is so important that we develop that. And that's how we, that's how we grow over time. And then the last thing is, he talks about the idea that we are seated with us. We have seated us with him in the heavenly realm. Um, when you study the Old Testament, here's what you'll find. When you study the tabernacle and the worship and everything else, there are no seats. Okay? The reason there are no seats is because the priest's work was never done. The priest was always making sacrifices for the, for the people. When you get to the book of Hebrews and it talks about Jesus Christ as the great high priest, it talks about the fact that he after he made a sacrifice of the cross, sat down. His work was finished. You see, the idea of sitting has the idea of completeness. It has the idea of resting. Um, like I say, I have an easy chair at home, a recliner chair. Okay? And you need to understand. If you've ever seen Frasier, and you've ever seen the grandpa's chair, it's mine. Okay? I mean, I, that's my idea. I've needed to replace this chair for two years. I have looked at other chairs. My wife has begged me. We've been at furniture stores. She's like, please get a different chair. 
And I'll, I'll, I'll try to appease her. I'll sit down in some and go, no, 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 no. I've changed office chairs now two or three times, and, I, and she's like, you know, the, the only way for me to ever change an office chair is going to be literally for me to take it, throw it in the dumpster, and then have to force myself to get to a different one. Because I try them, and I'm like, no, i got to go back to the old one. And same thing. I need to replace them both. If you gave me a gift certificate to replace them, it would probably go unspent for a year plus. Okay, because I just, it's my comfort place. It's my, I, it's comfortable. I like it. Claire knows, in fact, Claire, she's figured it out. Because she'll jump in my chair and just look at me like, <laughs> guess who's in your chair? And I'm like, uh, 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 that's grandpa's chair. You're out of there. You want my granddaughter, but there are lines. There are clear-cut lines of distinction here. And the thing is, though, when I get to that chair and I kick it back and I relax, and I relax. I don't even want to go get a steak because I'm comfortable. We talk about being seated with Christ in the heavens. I think part of the concept is this. First of all, there's a concept regarding your salvation. You don't need to do anything to make God happier with you or love you more. He's already seated you with him in the heavens. There's nothing you can do to polish up, polish it all up. He loves you. He has sealed you. He has redeemed you. He has forgiven you. He has put you at his right hand in Christ. So if you're out there trying to work your way to make him happier or pleased, or this is what Paul's saying. It's a done deal already. That's what he did for you out of his mercy and his great love. But the other issue is this. The other issue is that when you learn to rest in Christ, your problem are his problems. And you don't have to worry about it anymore. Honestly, once I made the decision that we were having chicken salad last night, didn't worry about the steak. Never thought another thing about it. Never thought another thing about it until I was getting ready to go to bed. And thought, you know what? I'm going to take out the steak tonight because I ain't getting out of that chair tomorrow afternoon if I get into it, you know. Um, it was one of those things. Where it was one of those things where... And some of you, what's happening in your world is as stuff comes your way, instead of learning to rest and trust in Christ, you, you, you take it all on yourself and you become overwhelmed and overburdened. You go, well, it, it, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. I, 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 I'm not minimizing that it's hard. But there's something, to com- there's something that comes with learning to rest in Christ. There's something that comes with being able to look at it and say, look, Lord, I've done everything I can. It's your problem now. It's yours. I'm going to take my hands off, and I'm, I, I'm going to, you know, um, again, you, if you know me, and I don't want to offend you, but this will offend some of you. I hate country music. Okay? I just, I, I'm sorry, I'm a... I'm a 60s, 70s rock and roll guy, uh, you know, back when music was music and you could understand the words and it was fun. Um, uh, but, you know, so, I mean, you know, and the whole country music thing just kind of pushes me over the edge with the, you know, dog died, we're at the bar, car went, you know, cars collapsed and, you know, all that stuff. But anyway, and I know there's better stuff out there than whatever, but that, that's my thing. But that, old, that song, it's not an old song, but, you know, that Jesus take the wheel, okay? You know what the theological problem with that is? 
Huh? Why did you have the wheel in the first place? I mean, really? You say, Jesus, take the wheel. I've made a mess of it now. Well, wait a minute. What if, what if the song was... Okay, here you go. If you're a music person, here you go. Jesus has got the wheel. All right, there you go. There's a new song for you. Um, you know, Jesus has got the wheel. I mean, isn't that where it should be all along? You know? That, that's, that our lives are just resting and trusting in him, and he's going to take care of it, and, and, and we're going to rest in him, and, and, and we're going to learn that concept? And you go, that's hard. Yeah, that's why we're talking about growth takes a lifetime. Because you will, if you're like me, you will learn that lesson not once, but hundreds of times. Over and over and over again. Because there's so many times we try to take control and manipulate and manage stuff. Well, we just have to learn that, you know what? I'm seated with Christ in the heavens. And I just need to trust him. Because he's got this. He's got this. Paul writes to these people, reminding them that, look, you used to be in that world. Now you're part of this world. And in this world, you have been made alive in God. You have been raised up with Christ. And the same kind of power that took a resurrected Christ out of a sealed Roman tomb. You have that same kind of power in your life. And you have been seated, are seated with him in the heavenlies today. When you start to look at your Christian walk from those perspectives, you start to live different. You start to think differently. You start to trust differently. That's why Paul lays this out for them in this book. So I end with this this morning. I end with this idea. Paul reminds us that we cannot serve God in our own power. We've been made alive to God in a world that is centered on itself. We now possess a power that comes from Christ to show the world his grace. And we finally can rest and trust Jesus in every struggle and in every difficulty because we're seated with him. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it's easy to talk about. It's hard to do. Lord, as stuff comes our way, it's so easy, Lord, to want to respond in the old ways. But, Lord, you've given us a new way, and you have given us a new power and a new ability to trust and a new ability to rest. Help us to embrace it. Help us to really step backward and learn what it means to be connected and raised up and alive and seated with you. And may we do life differently this week, Lord. And may you help us to honor you so that a world that is dead in trespasses and trespasses in can see the power of Christ in our lives. These things we ask in your name. Amen.